Kia ora, welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. My name's Esther and I'm currently a student nurse. Unfortunately, I've been pulled out of my placement at Auckland Hospital though, while all of this is going down, so really just waiting to be put back into placement so I can be uh, helpful. <laughs> Kia ora Esther, it's great to hear from you. Remember, you can also send in your own greeting for the Coronavirus Podcast through RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free to download, you don't need an account or anything, all you do is just press a button and send us your message. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast, I'm Indira Stewart. Later this episode, our producer Jesse Chang looks at how zoo animals are doing under lockdown. But first, the headlines. Right as I'm speaking, Cabinet is getting ready to decide when Aotearoa will come out of the Level 4 lockdown. The earliest possible deadline is Wednesday night, but that could be extended if needed. Yesterday, the Director-General of Health and the Prime Minister laid out the major criteria which need to be met before we move. That criteria includes that the Director-General of Health is satisfied there is sufficient data from a range of sources, including testing and surveillance, that public health experts, statisticians and modellers can have reasonable certainty that undetected community transmission is unlikely. Secondly, there is sufficient rigorous and rapid case identification and contact tracing with surge capacity available in the case of an outbreak. Thirdly, our self-isolation, quarantine and border measures are robust and adhered to. And finally, there is capacity in the health system more generally, including the workforce, ICU capacity, plus the availability of PPE for those for whom it is recommended. Jacinda Ardern and Dr Ashley Bloomfield went on to say that two out of those four criteria had already been met. There is capacity in the health system and controls at the border are in place. So what about the remaining two? First, is there a risk that coronavirus is spreading under the radar without being picked up? Over the past few days, health officials have been trying to answer that question by carrying out random testing particularly in Queenstown and Whanganui, where there have been concerns about silent community spread. So far, all those tests have come back negative, although random testing will continue this week. A few weeks ago, there was a lot of talk about t testing rates here and so on. New Zealand's got one of the highest testing rates in the world, and that in particular that community testing we've been doing as well as the wide testing right across all the regions and across different ethnic groups shows that we've got a high level of confidence there isn't undetected community transmission ongoing. That sounds pretty positive. The final major criteria has to do with contact tracing. That means both tracing every new case of COVID-19 back to its source and finding all the people the new case may have infected so they can be quarantined before they spread it further. The standard we are looking for is to be able to uh, trace 80% of people within three days. Now, because the, uh, all of the current mechanism and the, and the information is held locally at district health boards, we've had to collate that and do a sweep across them to get that information, and that information is being analysed this weekend. OK, so that's three ticks and one question mark. We still don't know if our contact tracing is good enough to meet Dr Bloomfield's standard. That analysis is due to be released later this afternoon. But there are two huge things you can do 
to make our contact tracing system more effective. First, if in doubt, get tested. If you even have a sniffle or the slightest sore throat, get a test. Because the sooner that we get on top of uh, knowing that someone has the symptoms of COVID-19, the more successful then our isolation and contact tracing will be. Second, keep a diary. Note down where you've been each day and who you've come into contact with. Think about all your movements as if we may come in an interview tomorrow and try and find out who you've been with. But if you imagine, uh, even in uh, you know, asking someone six days later to recount every movement over a period of time, it's an incredibly hard task, even it would be at alert level three. These four health-related criteria aren't the only things the Cabinet are considering while they make their decision. We'll look at the evidence of the effects of the measures on the economy and on society more broadly, public attitudes towards the measures and the extent to which people and businesses understand, accept and are overall complying with them, and the ability to operationalise restrictions, including satisfactory detailed implementation planning by our all-of-government team and government agencies. There's no point crystal ball gazing over what Cabinet will decide. We're just going to have to wait and see. The final call is expected at four o'clock this afternoon. But it's important to remember that whenever we do move down to level three, that doesn't mean everything goes back to normal. This is going to be a long-term project for us all. A move to alert level three, whenever it comes, is not a return to pre-COVID-19 life for any of us. What eventually changes at alert level three is that more of the economy is able to come back online, but our social lives sadly will not. If we move too quickly in that area, we undo the good work we have done collectively over some very long days indeed. This weekend also saw the confirmation of three more deaths from COVID-19, one each in Invercargill, Waikato and Christchurch. That brings our total toll to 12. The Invercargill death actually happened on Tuesday last week, but because the man died in his home, we've had to wait for a post-mortem to confirm the cause of death. Dr Bloomfield says that case will be investigated more closely. This was someone who's been looked at, who was being looked after in the community with daily check-ins. Uh, they were at home with family members and wasn't that clinically unwell. Well, I've asked for advice from our, um, our chief science advisor, Dr N. Town, who is a respiratory physician, and he's going to work with some of his colleagues to look at what the learnings are there. So there are two things, yes, what, how we might manage people with pre-existing respiratory conditions, and also if people are at home with COVID-19, what sort of clinical check-in there might be regularly just to check on their condition. So it was, it's part of informing our ongoing response to COVID-19. Your average zoo normally gets hundreds of visitors every day. Now, thanks to the lockdown, all those people have vanished and it seems some of the animals have noticed they aren't getting as much attention as usual. Our producer Jessie Chang talked to zookeepers about what's changed under the lockdown. That's the sound of elephants playing in the rain. It's just one of the many videos posted on social media about life for Auckland Zoo animals under lockdown. In the footage, you see Auckland Zoo residents Anjali and Burma wading into their pool, waving their trunks around and splashing about. 
and they're popular too. The video of the elephants alone have racked up more than 33,000 views on Facebook. Richard Gibson, who's the head of life science at Auckland Zoo, says it's all been a bit strange. We're used to having hundreds and thousands of, uh, of visitors coming to our facility and engaging with and connecting with wildlife and to not have visitors here is a very strange situation. Um, but we are knuckling down and uh, we are focusing on the essential services that we need to provide for our animals, ensuring that their care is maintained and their welfare is, is utmost. Obviously, we are, say, a number of us are essential workers caring for the animals here, but we also have the vast majority of our, of our staff are, are working from home, like most of the country, and, uh, and those staff working from home are not focusing necessarily on what they used to do, but now on they're putting a lot of time, trouble and effort into developing our online opportunities opportunities. We have uh, lots and lots of new stuff online for kids, families, schools, people trying to school their kids at home, some very educational resources, lots of new blogs. Uh, those keepers that are here caring for the animals on a day-to-day -day basis are taking the opportunity to, to carry a GoPro with them and get snippets of, uh, of, of video to, to engage with a community that can't see our animals live in the flesh anymore. We're trying to make sure they stay connected and stay across what's going on in the zoo. Would this be the first time the zoo has been closed to visitors for more than a day? Certainly in my uh, relatively short tenure, I've been here nearly 10 years and that certainly never happened while I've been here. There may have been instances in the past, but not that I'm aware of. You know, we're, we're a 364 day a year um, opportunity for, for our visitors. Uh, Christmas Day is normally the only day we're closed. So to be closed for two whole weeks now is uh, pretty much unprecedented, yes. And what was your reaction when you first heard about the fact that we were moving into level four lockdown? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, many of us were uh, were expecting it, if you like. Um, obviously, we're not, we've been aware of what's going on around the world and many countries in much worse shape than us. And uh, uh, and therefore, we, we could see potentially what was coming. We'd already started to put some plans in place here to ensure uh, the, the essential services for the zoo would continue if and when level four happened. So um, I think there was a lot of disbelief still, however, that we couldn't really believe it was happening. So on the one hand, it was kind of, yes, we know it sort of logically thinking about it. We knew it might happen. But when it really happened, I think we were all still a bit sort of stunned at the time. But we were able to get over that because we had a job to do and that is to make sure that to say that our that our extensive residents our animal residents are, are maintained and cared for so we with that job to do it really gives you focus there are only about 40 staff members currently coming into the zoo every day working on split rosters and some only for a few hours before heading home Keepers are also wearing PPE gear when interacting with certain animals. And that's important, especially after recent reports about tigers catching the coronavirus. A four-year-old female tiger at New York City's Bronx Zoo has tested positive for the coronavirus. Officials say Nadia first began showing signs of the virus on March 27th after developing a dry cough. They say the tiger was exposed to an asymptomatic worker at the zoo. Are you worried that something like that could happen here? Am I worried? Not unduly. Um, we have a, a highly skilled and uh, very uh, sort of clued up and, and attentive veterinary team that are monitoring everything that's going on in the veterinary world with respect to COVID-19. We're also connected with uh, colleagues all over Europe and America and Australasia that are monitoring this sort of stuff. So we have lots of evidence and lots of information available to us. 
um, actually before the tiger the tiger uh, incident happened if you like or at least was made public though there, there was a, a publication uh, the week before which had actually demonstrated that cats could harbor COVID-19 and actually cross infect each other and so we're, we're already aware of that and our vets were already putting in place uh, precautionary measures so um, since the beginning we've had uh, PPE in use with our primate keepers because we think of our primates particularly as potentially vulnerable because obviously they're primates like we are mm. um, uh, but then when we saw this paper about the cat uh, COVID-19 relation uh, sorry links we also um, we also put the same measures in place for all our carnivores so we're, we're across it we're doing everything we can proactively we're not unduly worried because i think it's a pretty it's a, it's a rare a rare thing and at the moment we've been very lucky not to have had any of our staff impacted by by covid19 either so uh, we are taking every precaution we can to make sure that we stay that way but in terms of routines for the animals themselves richard gibson says they haven't changed much under lockdown i was curious though did the animal sense something was different? Well, it depends which animal you talk about, of course, really. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have any, any, you know, data to support this, but my own observation just wandering around the zoo when I'm checking in on my animal teams is that, um, that uh, so depending on the species, our, one of my favourites in the zoo are the leopard tortoises and the, and the Galapagos tortoises and the lace monitors. I'm a reptile specialist. And right. uh, I'm fairly convinced that those guys are almost completely and utterly oblivious to whether we have met lots of visitors or not lots of visitors. Um, however, if I walk past some of our small primate enclosures, I certainly got the sense that they were showing a little bit more interest in me than normal because they've sensed that something is different. So maybe they're a little bit more inquisitive than usual. They're a little bit more aware of, the, of, of what's going on around them because they're, what's happening is, is now not buried amongst the usual busy day, which is normally sort of full of visitors. When visitors come to the zoo, we exist obviously for our community and hope that our community will come here and engage with and feel connected with animals and wildlife because we want people to care about and protect wildlife and wild places and so um, it, it's a it's a, an enriching and, and invigorating thing for, for our visitors but it's also the visitors are enriching and, uh, and invigorating to our animals to some extent and so yeah those that notice the the absence of visitors um, our keepers are aware of that for instance um, we have uh, some birds which are trained to come out and meet visitors and they do free flights and uh, the show show visitors about all the the specialities and, and, and adaptations and skills of birds but now they're not doing that with our visitors our, our our trainers our animal trainers who work with those birds are making a special effort to make sure that they still get plenty of training still get plenty of stimulation so that they are mentally um, mentally rewarded as well as physically looked after it's a similar story for other zoos across the country Daniel Warsaw from Wellington Zoo explains. We have noticed that some of our animals, particularly some of the more highly um, intelligent species, such as the chimpanzees, some of the, um, the cats, the dingoes, they have been looking for people a little bit more, so they've missed that visitor interaction that's usually mm. there. So for right. some of them, what we've been doing is providing them with additional forms of stimulation and enrichment, which is what we do normally, but we've just been increasing that a little bit further. Right, so you think they know that something is going on, like something's not quite right here? Yeah, they're just, they're just the sense of it. I mean, it's, not, it's, a, it's a, a grand experiment that unfortunately the whole country and the world's going through at the moment, but it is an interesting um, thing for us to see that that is just a little bit of a semblance of them, them missing the visitors and that, that um, in some of those species. And some of the other animals, like the dingoes, have been visiting other residents in the zoo. 
all safely with the glass in between them, of course. And they were both the otters and the dingo seemed very interested in one another, which was cool. And another video or photo that I've seen is um, the dingoes meeting um, our giraffe. And um, that was quite interesting. They got to have a bit of a sniff of one another. So through the manuka fence, which looked really cool as well. Both zoos only anticipate reopening when New Zealand goes back to level two. So for now, zoo enthusiasts will have to stick to online videos. But it seems that the love for animals also extends to everyday pets. Andrea Midgen from the SBCA says there was a flurry of adoptions just before the lockdown started. We got cracking and very quickly did a huge adoption drive and we got three times that, uh, more animals out in those three or four days before lockdown than we have ever done before. How many animals were that? It's just over a thousand animals went out. Wow. And what kind? Mostly dogs and cats, but, you know, a few rabbits and sheep and a goat and a, a chook. <laughs> it was a nice <laughs> mixture there. Uh, we also got a huge amount uh, of increase for fostering parents, which got um, some animals out. They'll take care of them until later down the track and bring them back to us. Andrea Midgen does have advice for pet owners to minimise any chance of catching or spreading COVID-19. That includes maintaining physical distance from other people while out for walks with your dog and giving your cat a wipe down after they've been out and about. The most important message though is still washing your hands, which after this lockdown we should all be experts in. Kia ora Jessie. Like all of you, we'll be tuning in at 4pm to hear what Cabinet has decided about the move from Level 4. We'll bring you all the latest on that tomorrow. But until then, stay safe, be kind. Kākite koe a popo. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Listener.